Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. As we've been covering, of course, Russia's declaration for two Ukrainian territories that they are now independent territories. Uh, President Putin's subsequent order for peacekeeping troops uh, to those areas has a whole lot of people on edge uh, here in the state and around the world. Some are urging President Biden to do something more to stop it. We've just listened to sanctions in the last hour or so. But the big question is, is what is beyond the headlines? Are there more things that we should be thinking about in terms of the United States role, what Russia is doing and what NATO allies need to come together to do? So let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. We're very pleased to have joining us on the program today, Congressman Chris Stewart from Utah's 2nd Congressional District and someone who has a great experience as it relates to so many of these international affairs. Congressman, thanks for joining us today. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Boyd. Uh, obviously, things continue to change very rapidly on the ground in Ukraine, particularly in those eastern provinces, uh, which Vladimir Putin strategically declared to be independent, uh, which gives him space to not invade Ukraine, but to do some things there. Give us a little bit of just historic context as you look at this. What are you watching most as you see what's taking place in Ukraine and what Vladimir Putin's doing? Oh, my gosh, there's just so many important events that are unfolding before our eyes. I mean, we're, we're watching what may turn out to be something we haven't seen, you know, since 1960. I mean, it'll be going on 60 plus years since a, a European nation actually invaded another free and independent nation. And I mean, for Vladimir Putin, who is, by the way, a KGB thug, but he's a brilliant politician and a brilliant national leader. Uh, but for him to just say, yeah, well, these parts of Ukraine are independent now. I mean, like, it'd be a, like us going up and telling Canada, hey, Quebec is a free is a free, free providence and we're going to take it. I mean, it, it just can't be allowed to happen. And, and the other thing I would mention is I, I think it's interesting. They have this term broad spectrum warfare, and that's exactly what we're watching now. I mean, we know that they've already been subject to cyber attacks. There are insurgents who are nothing but you know, Russian operatives, Russian soldiers in civilian clothes who are stirring up the problem. You know, they're uh, committing acts of espionage. They are working for Russians inside the Ukraine. Uh, the misinformation campaign we've seen, the threats against government officials, all of that that falls under broad, broad spectrum warfare. And I, I'm just hopeful, but uh, so concerned that we may see a real upheaval in our global security over the next few days. Yeah, you, you mentioned the uh, the changes to, to Europe, uh, so many of those things that have, have held uh, really since World War II for the most part, uh, but we're kind of seeing, I, I don't think the end, this is not an end game, I don't think, for Vladimir Putin, but uh, a beginning and, and kind of that brittle return of uh, what things used to be like in, in Europe, kind of a, a reordering there. 
Uh, as you look at it, Congressman, uh, some of the things that obviously everyone is looking at is obviously the sanction route is the sanction route. But there's some interesting things we have to look at there in terms of, uh, one, the fact that uh, President Biden early in the administration just inexplicably uh, lifted the sanctions on the on the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline. We know China has uh, inked a deal uh, with uh, Russia for $117 billion of oil and gas. Uh, how are all those things playing out and how how can uh, these a set of sanctions actually have an impact now uh, on Vladimir Putin and Russia? Yeah, well, the sanctions won't have the impact in the sense that they're not going to dissuade him from invading Ukraine if he decides to do that. And we've just always known that. I mean, there's hardly an example in history where sanctions alone were sufficient. And they've already made uh, made arrangements to move around the sanctions. You mentioned one of them, and that's our working more closely with China, which is one of the you know real detrimental outcomes of this is it's driven China and Russia closer together than they otherwise would have been. Although I think that's transactional. I don't think that's a long-term relationship. It certainly is a concern for us now. But look, if you want to hurt Russia, then drive down the price of oil. I mean, it's their only only source of, of foreign uh, for, uh, U.S. dollars and foreign capital. It's by far their largest export. And for us to drive the price of oil down, which we were able to do as, as we had this remarkable energy miracle where we became a net exporter of oil and gas. And if you want to help Russia, drive the price of oil up. And that's unfortunately what this administration has done over the last year. I mean, again, it's remarkable how we went from a net exporter of oil and gas to instead the president having to go to OPEC and beg them to increase production because we have limited our own production. So, I mean, that's certainly one of the plays that that we're looking at here. And as you said, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which Germany has finally said that they're not going to allow to be completed. And we've been trying to get them to do that for right. for years now. but. Uh, that's only one of the ways in which Americans are going to be impacted is the price of energy. There's a lot of analysts who are expecting the price of uh, oil to go to 140 maybe even $150 a barrel. There's going to be a flood of refugees into Western Europe. That's obviously de- de- uh, destabilizing. And finally, there's this last thing about this will literally cause, because of the spike in oil and energy, it'll literally cause hundreds of thousands of people around the globe who live on just the the verge of of starvation anyway it will cause many of them to actually starve to death because they simply won't be able to have access to the food supplies they need so although i would never support sending u.s forces to fight russia in ukraine we can never do that we also can't just kind of turn away and say well it doesn't matter because it won't really impact us because it really will so all of those things are uh, very significant in terms of where we are today as we try to reset and get a lay of the land in terms of where we are and then, of course, what comes next. And I thought it was interesting that Congressman Stewart pointed out uh, just what happens uh, when you are no longer energy independent. Uh, that obviously causes the price of that fuel to go up, as we noted earlier in the program. Uh, the fact that we are that we, the United States of America, imports Russian oil uh, that we're that we're dependent on that Germany has become dependent on that. We'll talk about that more uh, coming up in the next segment. Uh, but all of those things uh, are uh, a boon and a boost to Vladimir Putin and his objectives. And so I think that's something that we have to look at in terms of the sanctions. We also need to rightly look at what Congressman Stewart pointed out uh, about uh, those who are living on the edge and on the bubble. And some of those are people right here. In the state of Utah and in the United States of America, those who, if suddenly their fuel costs go up uh, in a significant way, if the, the 
cost of, of food uh, goes up as well in a significant way. We have a lot of folks that are just kind of hanging on right now coming out of the pandemic. And this could be the thing that, that tips them over. Uh, and so there are, are so many downstream implications in terms of what is happening and what comes next. Uh, and so we're going to stay with the conversation uh, here on uh, KSL News Radio Inside Sources. And we're going to continue my conversation with Representative Chris Stewart as we dig a little deeper into everything that's going on in Ukraine. And is there something that America can do? Uh, to slow this down, to stop this ultimate uh, invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Congressman Stewart actually thinks there is something we can do. We'll talk to him about that coming up next. Stay with us. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Uh, U.S. domestic policy on oil and natural gas might be part of the reason we're not in the best negotiating position when it comes to Ukraine right now. So why is that? And could we help the Ukrainians fend off the Russians without sending our troops there? Congressman Chris Stewart uh, joined us earlier today. Uh, he thinks there is a way and there has to be a way for all of that to happen. And so as we continue the conversation with Congressman Stewart, I asked him about how this idea that we are an oil importer rather than a net oil or energy exporter has hurt the United States negotiating power in this situation. Congressman Stewart uh, begins by telling us what he thinks happened and what needs to happen next. Again, the first thing the president did was shut down Keystone Pipeline. He demonized the oil and gas industry. He, he encourages financial institutions not to give them loans, not to work with them. Uh, he shut down oil exploration development here in the West and up in northern Alaska. And it's just had enormous implications on this the real, real dangerous situation we face now because he's lost that tool. He's lost that ability to influence the price of oil or to threaten that to Russia because we no longer have the ability to uh, even even produce enough for our own needs. And interesting, as you said, we're financing the invasion in, in a real way because we are buying Russian oil and gas that we weren't buying, you know, two years ago. Uh, so as we look at uh, America's place on the world stage, of course, that's always a, a great debate in the uh, in the midst of presidential elections and campaigns. Uh, and, of course, it was one of the things that President Biden ran on of kind of reestablishing or reasserting some leadership in the world. Uh, how has the approach to Ukraine and what has taken place over the last few weeks? Uh, how are how are you seeing it in terms of how others around the world are looking at the U.S. in terms of reliable partner, steady leadership? and uh, moving things forward? Well, uh, I'll, maybe there's good news and bad news here. And let me say the bad news first. I mean, much of what we're seeing now is the genesis or the outcome from, uh, from Afghanistan. There's just no question that that's true. There's intel that, that shows that it's true as well as just common sense, that Vladimir Putin looked at what happened in Afghanistan and said, this is the time for me to act. This administration is weak. They've been weakened and they're not going to oppose me. And and uh, that's unfortunate. And so you see that around the globe. I mean, I had a conversation last July or August during Afghanistan withdrawal with a member of the Ukrainian parliament. And he said to me, we don't think we can trust you anymore. We're not sure that you'll stand by us. Had a very similar conversation with someone in Jordan and with a leader in Asia as well. 
so broadly, uh, America is held in some, it was some skepticism about, well, will they actually lead? Will America actually lead like we need them to? But the good news is, is that America still can lead. And I would ask this president to do one thing, Boyd, we talked about sanctions. The other things that are probably not going to make a difference, but there's something this president could do. And that is he should say and state unequivocally and very clearly, we will support a Ukrainian resistance. We will support Ukrainian freedom fighters. The Ukrainian people do not want to be part of Russia. They don't want to lose their freedom. They want to be uh, pointed towards the West and more closely associated with the West and with freedoms. And that's the one thing that Vladimir Putin is truly afraid of. It's the one thing that truly frightens him. And that is a long-term resistance where Russians are killed every week. It's the one thing the Russian people won't support. I think I'm convinced it's the only way we can dissuade him from continuing his expansion in Ukraine. And I wish our president would make that a focal point of we will support Ukrainian freedom fighters. And, and I think that could make a real difference. Yeah. And as you as you look at that, I, I think it's so interesting that, uh, that Vladimir Putin, of course, has done all of these very small things to just position. Everyone always says, you know, he, he loves judo and, and in judo, you don't win by the big throw. It's it's all these very small things of scoring points and scoring points. And he seems to have uh, positioned himself in so many ways to have legal justification, to have NATO a little bit divided and a little bit uh, scattered in terms of uh, of a response and what's happening there. Uh, as you look forward uh, in terms of the the leadership, uh, what is it uh, besides uh, or, or what is it in addition to the fact that I think, as, as you just said, that Vladimir Putin's biggest fear is a really successful Ukraine uh, where people are uh, having investment and they're starting businesses and they're seeing upward mobility. Uh, what else is there? Is there anything out there that can serve as a deterrent uh, to Vladimir Putin? Yeah, honestly, the things we've discussed are the only tools we have. We can't threaten uh, energy, uh, price of energy any longer. He, he holds that card on that one. Sanctions, as we've discussed, it's going to hurt the people around him. But as I've said, they've already initiated kind of workarounds, some of them through China, some of them through other financial institutions that they've already set up that will allow them to continue to do their international banking that they need. I mean, they call London uh, London stand because there's so many Russian oligarchs there who have their financial holdings and homes and other things. And they're going to continue to have access to them, at least most of them will. The one thing, once again, to repeat myself, the one thing that we can do is that threat of supporting and arming an insurgency. It's the only thing that Vladimir Putin really fears at this point. All right. And is there anything else that we should be watching uh, in the uh, in the days ahead uh, that might give us some indication in terms of uh, of what comes next? I'm not an alarmist on this. I don't think mm-hmm. that it's it's necessarily likely, but it's certainly a possibility that that as we impose these sanctions and as we begin to actually rally the allies and particularly NATO allies against this action, it's possible that uh, that Vladimir Putin chooses to use some of his cyber tools to threaten the United States or to harm us in some way. And I think over the next couple of weeks, that's one of the things I'll be, and those of us on the Intelligence Committee will be keeping a close eye on is whether he tries to retaliate against some of these sanctions by some of the cyber, again, some of the cyber capabilities he has. And I hope that he doesn't. Uh, clearly, I mean, I hope he doesn't. And that leaves us in a position, well, then how do we retaliate against him? But as is something that I think all of us should should be aware of. Great insight, as always. Representative Chris Stewart, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll continue to monitor this rapidly changing uh, developments in Ukraine and uh, the strategy of what Vladimir Putin will do next. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, sir.
So as we wrap up that conversation with Congressman Chris Stewart, there there are some interesting things uh, that I think we need to to look at and watch for. Uh, last week, you know, I, w- I was very appreciative of both the tone and the focus of President Biden's speech as he began to lay out what was taking place in Ukraine. I thought it was one of the strongest speeches the president has given. Uh, I think everyone was was confident in rallying around the president. Now, as we start moving into the, the real heat of this, uh, we have to start looking at, okay, what is the communication strategy? What is the messaging? How rapidly is the administration able to turn over new information or changes on the ground uh, and either react to those, which seems to be how we're functioning in a very reactionary mode, or can we get out in front of some of these things and uh, have some additional deterrence? Uh, and so part of that, I think, has to look at the long-term strategy. Uh, of course, many of the things that we've been talking about is if, if you really want to hurt uh, Vladimir Putin, you have to drive down the price of oil. It's all he has is that price of oil and energy. And it's one of those interesting things, uh, and my producer Kelly pointed this out, reminded us of our conversation from last week. Well, when we were talking about Germany and Germany trying to move to, to green energy, which we know is the goal. We all want that. We want cleaner. Uh, we want better air. We want to help the environment and the climate. Uh, but Germany went out about it in a very rapid fire way uh, that actually has put them in a worse position. And now they are actually more dependent on Russia, Russia natural gas and oil than they were before they started their green energy initiative. Uh, and so it always goes to that uh, factor that you have to have both strategy and tactics uh, in order to accomplish that. And sometimes we rush uh, to try to make a massive change in our economy or how we're doing something. But you, you've you got to have a, a discipline and a set of tactics to go with it uh, or you end up in a worse place. Uh, and that is where Germany has found itself being much more dependent on Russian oil than they were prior to many of their initiatives about becoming cleaner and greener. Uh, and so that's an interesting component. Uh, and then, of course, our own energy efforts here in the United States uh, are also clearly playing into that as well. So we're going to continue to watch and see. We are waiting and standing by uh, Secretary of State Blinken and Ukrainian foreign minister will be holding a briefing shortly. Uh, we'll try to cut to that if we get the chance here in the next little bit to get their update in terms of what's going on uh, and how Ukraine and the United States are working together uh, to determine what comes next in this whole process. We'll go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour news. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.